Check, 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 one, two. Center stage on the mic. We putting on wax since the new style. Four and three and two and one. I'm about to tell you about the first five years of Bandel and what I learned. What do you think about that, Jack? Well, hello. So in an earlier episode of JGOK, I shared my experience building Bandel, but I thought in this episode, I would dig in a bit more and share what I've learned through that experience. It's been 10 years, and as you can imagine, I've learned a lot, so I'm going to do it in two parts. This episode, as you may have guessed, is part one. The first five years, the years that I thought I had it all figured out and later found out that was not the case. Regardless, if you're building a business or thinking of starting one, I'm about to drop some business knowledge on you right now. So pretty early on, I did an episode on building Bandeau and kind of just took you through everything, the inception, the growth, selling it, where we are now. And I'm told people liked it. So I wanted to focus, sometimes I go down like a emotional slash mental health rabbit hole <laughs> of wanting to talk about feelings all the time. But I, but I think there's, well, I know there's a lot of value I can bring to those of you that are starting your business or a couple years into your business or considering it. And so I thought maybe since we've had our 10 year anniversary slash birthday slash I don't know what you call it when it's a business and not a person and not a wedding and not a marriage and not a whatever that I would kind of look at the first five years and then I can look at the second five years. This is the first five years. A lot was learned in those years. I also realized that I had done a one of my first like keynotes five years five years ago. And I thought I knew everything. And, and I was reading through the PDF. This is a lot of this info is pulled from that presentation. I mean, I read through it. I'm like, this is all very helpful. I forgot about a lot of this because you kind of, you know, you learn stuff and then you pack it away and then you learn new things. So again, this is, these are the things from the first five years in no particular order, but I certainly hope it helps. So quickly, Bando is the brand that I created with a friend of mine 10 years ago. We started as a one-of-a-kind hair accessories brand making very um, lavish, for lack of a better word, Hair accessories with all vintage materials um, sort of evolved from there. Remained primarily a hair accessory brand for the first three years. Then sold it at the four-year point and then pivoted the business to start to become more of what you know today, if you know it, which is a lifestyle brand, a bright spot at the intersection of fun and happiness, and that and that will change and evolve too. That's the one thing. If you stay in business long enough, your business changes and evolves all the time. I didn't have any prior business knowledge. I think I have a natural 
inclination towards brand building and marketing. But just for context, it is a product-based business. We lean heavily into the brand side of it. That's been our strength. That's how we sold the business because it certainly wasn't on uh, net profits at that point. Now we could probably sell it on net profit. Oh, we definitely could. So just so you kind of know where we're coming from. But I think even if you're in a service business or anything that does not have to do with product, there's a lot here that that will help you. How excited are you? I'm excited. I'm excited to dig back in. Maybe there's something I'm going to learn. Here we go. Building a strong brand is the smartest thing you can do. Again, I'm biased because I feel like I built a pretty strong brand, but what I will say about having a brand is that especially in this day and age which is which is actually quite different than when we started, consumers want to be able to have uh, a connection to the companies that they consume from. And having a brand enables you to have a voice, an aesthetic, a personality, a point of view, a tone. And those are all things that you can elaborate on, that you can evolve, and that you can connect with your consumer and your audience in the world at large through that lens. It also makes it makes your business a little bit more malleable. Here we go. Out of the gate. I don't even know how far in I am. <clears throat> Malleable. <laughs> Malleable. Did it. Nailed it. I'm not scared of you, word. Like the way we've pivoted, you know, our product assortment or um, just who we are as a brand, but mostly like just being able to kind of adapt um, and also how we sold it. I mean, we, we basically, the people that approached us were really looking to buy a brand. The business part for them, it, it was not that fleshed out because we were essentially, you know, two creatives trying to figure it out. It wasn't bad, but it, you know, I learned how far off we were after being exposed to actual business. But the brand was very compelling because it's not something that everyone can do. So I cannot reinforce that enough. Like just look at, you know, when you're, when you're starting, like you can think about like what your logo is, what your colors are, what your mission is, what are the do's and don'ts for your brand? What are you hoping to accomplish? Like, what is your intention? What do you want the look and feel to be? I think it's really important and incredibly invaluable. If you're in products, make cool stuff. You know, that's changing too. Like when when we when we first started, it was just like, just make sure people like what you're what you're making and that there's an actual consumer desire for it. You know, asking your friends and family may not be enough. Uh and with social media, which was not something that was around outside of Facebook and maybe MySpace, but I'm too old for that. You know, there are people you can ask and, you know, find people that can give you their honest opinions. Like, Don't just do something because you think it's awesome. Like make sure other people are bought in. Now I I feel like the product world has changed and it's something that we're thinking about a lot at Bandeau that what is cool stuff? Like what does that mean? And is, is stuff even relevant? Like 
does your product have a purpose? It, you know, is it affecting the environment in a positive or negative way? How are you sourcing your materials? How are you producing your product? And so I would say if you're starting now, you know, really hold yourself accountable, not just for is this really good and will people want it? But like, why am I putting this out there? How am I creating it? And am I doing that responsibly? Point three, <laughs> trying to draw distinct lines so you know when to write things down. Point three, once you have customers, listen to them. I don't know that I subscribe to the blanket statement that the customer is always right, but just because I think sometimes customer feedback is fueled by emotion and personal pain, which is okay. Everyone has permission to do that, but I'm sure you know sometimes when you just don't feel good, you may want to project that out onto something or someone else. Even with that, I think there's something interesting to take away, but you know, I I have feedback is something that has not been my strong suit, receiving it. Uh, giving it too. I'm not great at giving criticism. I'm trying to get better at both because I think constructive criticism is invaluable. But especially, you know, year four and beyond really being exposed to a lot of customers, customers who were strangers, coworkers who were strangers, people that just had opinions about what we were doing. And that was really hard for me. But when it comes to the customer in particular, those, those are the people that you need for your business. And we've always been very focused on listening to the customer, putting their input to work and really digesting it. It is hard sometimes uh, just as a person. And so finding your the distance between that, there's a book, I think it's called Thanks for Your Feedback, but, but I think that that will help a little bit. But also just engage them too. You don't have to wait to hear what they say because they're disappointed or they're ecstatic. Like ask them. We we ask our customers all the time, what do you like? Do you like this or do you like that? What do you want from us? What do you wish we would do more of? What do you wish we would do less of? What's stopping you from buying this? Why do you keep buying this? Um, what are you doing in your spare time? Is there anything we can do to, you know, make that time better for you. I think there's a huge, huge advantage to truly putting the customer first. And I think it's something that people say. And I think even for us, we we definitely were putting the customer first and really being very pointed about not trying to go in for the hard sell and like making the customer feel like it was a transactionary relationship. And, you know, really sort of putting connection over transaction. But I think that we're in a place now that I'm challenging that. Like, what? how much more can we do? Like, what are we doing creatively just to feed ourselves that actually isn't right for our customer? And maybe we should stop doing stuff like that. So good food for thought, if I say so myself. <laughs> Number four was pay attention to social media uh, and still is pay attention to, to social media. It's a very useful tool. It is sometimes free for businesses. It's sometimes not. It's definitely much more of a challenging landscape than it was five years ago just because so many more people and businesses are using it. There's that fucking algorithm. You can quote me on that. 
And obviously, if you listen to my podcast regularly, you know that uh, my relationship to social media has changed a lot. And personally, trying to figure out how to keep it in a healthy place for myself emotionally and also use the platform for good. But for a business, what a great way to find customers, to find like-minded businesses, to get feedback, to get the word out, to really, especially with something like Instagram, you know, really portray your brand's aesthetic. I mean, I feel like you can even sell stuff from there if you're super small. If you're medium, you could definitely have posts that you can sell from on your website. I'm saying that, but no, I'm I'm pretty sure that's true. Anyways, so, and also like what a great place to be able to have a clear message, a positive message, be transparent and be real. And I think like that's going to be such a challenge for businesses and I'd love to see more businesses do that. Okay. Number five, comparison is the thief of joy. You know that. Everybody knows that, right? So painful. That said, uh, when we started, and I feel like I probably said this in the Building Bandeau episode, I would compare us to like J. Crew and be so bummed that I couldn't, we couldn't do what they were doing, you know, and that was not healthy. But I think looking at brands you admire, whether they're a little bit bigger than you or they're like mammoth heritage, you know, million or billion dollar brands is important in goal setting, in planning, and in understanding the competition. And they may not be your competition now, but they may be five years from now. I think that's important. You'll see what you like. You see what you don't want to do. But you have to be realistic, especially in a small business, about your resources. And just know, if you don't know this now, those big companies have so many employees. The jobs are so delineated. You know, you're probably one to five people, maybe 10 Think of how many different things each one of your employees is doing. You know, this would be where there could be two or three or five people doing like one small aspect of that job. And actually, that being said, I think a small agile team that can do a lot of different things is really, really valuable. And when we started to grow out of that, which I will talk about in the episode about the second five years, I found that. That may not work for us because we were so rooted in just small, very cohesive teams. Anyways, just be realistic about your resources and and the differences between you and the quote unquote big guys, but definitely keep an eye out on them. Number six. I think that's all. I think the six is the last one. Well, six and seven are going to kind of meld together, but I'm assuming if you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking about this, you're running the business. You you own the business or you founded it or you co-founded it. And what I will say, as your business gets bigger, and again, that might be going from two to five people, and the opportunities get bigger and things start to change, you're going to have to relinquish some control. There, I said it. I'm sorry. The worst. It's the worst. I mean... 
I don't think I'm a control freak, but other people tend to think that I am. I just hate that word. It's like, I just like things to be done right. And I often feel like I know how to do them right. And I wonder if anybody else does. Does that make me a control freak? Probably. What I have learned is that lots of people can do things right. And it their right does not have to mirror my right. Like the process can be different. The outcome can be different. Oftentimes in business, there are 20 positive positive outcomes for any given assignment or problem that needs to be solved. And there are thousands of different processes in getting there. And I didn't realize that. I thought, man, we got this far due to like always following the course of action that I laid and with the intended outcome, whether it be a visual outcome or a financial outcome. And the reality of that is there's lots of different ways to do it. And it's important to Educate and inform the people that you're going to relinquish some control and empower them and make them feel trusted, even if you're a little bit scared. Allow them to fail and treat the failure as a learning opportunity and then start over and then keep doing it. And then if you've relinquished control to someone and their failure rate is much higher than their success rate, then you got to look at that. What are you doing to contribute to that? What are they doing to contribute about to that? And how do you solve it? Valuable, valuable lesson that leads to the last point, which is focus on top level shit. If you started this business then you are the one that's going to help it grow more than anyone else, especially at these beginning stages. And if you are still answering emails from your general inbox, shipping packages, gluing ribbon to wire, which I did for probably the first four and a half years. No, that's not true. We stopped doing it. But I would run errands. I would look at the, you know, info at shopbando.com inbox. And some of that was about not being able to peel myself off of the responsibilities that I once once held, which was every responsibility in the business. And some of it is it's just sometimes easier to do the smaller tasks than like really pull yourself out and look at the bigger picture and the value that you can add. The thing I will say is this, what is your hourly rate? It has to be more than what you could pay an assistant or someone that could do a lot of the things that you're doing. And in order for your business to grow, you have to be freed up, not just like from a time sense, but from a mental sense, like you need space in your brain. That's just sort of empty in order to like allow your intuition to kind of float up and give you the ideas that you need to move forward into the future. And only you can do that. Anyways, there are other people that will help you with that. But if you're in a small business, you're most likely the the one person that's going to be able to do it. So make sure that you focus on that. Oh, hey, you know, I have a dog named Philip, right? Well, his name is actually Philip Kitty Stardust Torrets Gotch. Phil for short. Philodendron for semi-short. 
Filipina when he's being a real baby. Anyways, Phil got a really bad case of pancreatitis years ago, which is devastating for a dog and costly for a dog owner. And it was because he would get himself into all sorts of food that he's not supposed to eat. And then after the second or third time he got a flare up, we were like, what is going on? And the doctor was like, it would be better if you gave him a reduced fat diet and actually made his food. That was probably six years ago. I've been making this dog food for that long. Well, Andrew did it for a while. He's been gone for two years. So I've been doing it. Oftentimes, Phil eats better than I do. And then along comes the farmer's dog. I, I start this podcast. I get advertisers on the podcast. I refuse to advertise <laughs> advertise for companies that I don't think are great or I don't think I'll use their product or I don't use their product. So I was like, send me some of your product and then I'll, I'll see how it goes. Well, I'm in love with it. You've heard me talk about them before, but they basically deliver amazing food for your dog. Like you go on to their website, you do this like easy quiz about your dog. They cater meals to your dog. That's all healthy. It's like, it's person food. I haven't tried to eat it. I don't know if there are stipulations about that, but when I put it out, I'm like, this looks like a delicious dinner to me. And then my favorite part as of recently is just the way it comes to your door. It's pre-packed. Like it's so thought through. So the business side of me, like the business and brand side of me is as equally as impressed as the dog owner side of me. That's just like, this is so, this is just a better use of my time. Like I can do something like record a podcast instead of spend an hour making Phil's food for the next week and a half. But the business brand side of me is like the packaging is so good. The language is so good. It comes to your door. It's like in these serving packs. They're like bags that you cut open and you give them like a quarter of the bag for each meal. But then it folds up and it goes into this little like it's not a Tupperware. It seems more compostable than that because <laughs> they obviously care about the environment too, which is not in any of my, it, not in any of my literature here, but I can just tell and it just fits perfectly and the bag fits perfectly in it. And I'm just like, I just love it. It, it really, it has been nothing but a great experience. I feel like maybe it's founded by two cute guys too. So that, that nothing wrong with that. Anyways, They've given me an offer that I can extend to you because they know I'm a huge fan and they know that you guys maybe would be huge fans. And I feel like this is like a pretty epic offer. So if you want to start feeding your dog better today, you can try a week free at thefarmersdog.com slash JGOK. Plus you get free shipping. Get your first week free at thefarmersdog.com slash JGOK. Thefarmersdog.com dot com slash j g o k your dog will love you more and let you hug it and kiss it as much as you want and sleep it in your bed under the covers with its head on the pillow next to you if that's what you want that's what i want maybe you want something different but those were the rewards that i reaped the benefits that I reaped from getting the farmer's dog. Just a few, just to mention a few. Okay, go check it out. Bye.
Okay. A few other thoughts uh, that could probably turn this into a five-hour podcast, so I'm going to try and be succinct. These are no longer going to be numbered because I think I left off at seven, but these were just other talking points that I think are super valid and helpful. There's what I thought would happen and what actually happened, and they're very different. I definitely thought that we were going to skyrocket just due to the um, the energy around what we were doing, the momentum, um, and the fact that I had no context. I had never started a business or even worked in an office outside of being a temp after college. Um, so I just thought, man, something that feels so this good and, and people are excited about, like we're going to be millionaires in no time. Um, and it's going to be easy. Um, and yes, there might be bumps in the road, but it, you know, I can see, you know, the thing is, is if, if, if you're, if you're a founder, then you're most likely also a visionary and you can see, you can see the end and you don't see the obstacles necessarily to the end. Um, and I think this is just like actually a good life lesson now, knowing what I know now. I don't know if I knew this then, but don't attach yourself to outcomes. You can ha- you sh- you can and should absolutely have goals, but the idea of like attaching an emotion to an outcome and being super specific about the outcome, I think, is sometimes hard in business. Now, that goes against the whole idea of the the law of attraction and having specific goals and needs. So we'll have to talk about that fully in another episode. But allow yourself at least to be able to pivot and take different paths. Because the one thing I can promise you is like whatever you think is going to happen, something different is going to happen. I promise you. Like I don't know anyone that was like we set a path. I knew what I wanted and we achieved it. That's not to say that you won't get there, but how and when and why will be different and that's okay. You can stay your course, but be prepared to take another course if you need to. And setbacks are normal in business. So if you didn't imagine having any setbacks and then you get them, don't worry about it. It's we've all, we all struggle with that at any size. So you just use your skills in creative problem solving. I know you have them and you overcome. And then for me, if I have several setbacks around the same issue or the same thing, then I take a closer look at what I'm doing because I feel like that's a sign that something something is off. So just don't be so attached to something having to be so exact that the progress, like I like I'm fine. I've, I've, I've contradicted myself so many times cause I have, I definitely have some sort of opposing views internally about this, which makes me a person. I'm fine for you to know where you want to go, but I just don't be so attached to how you get there. And also know that the outcome you imagined could be limiting you. I, I mean, when, when I, I've definitely said this before, and I'm comfortable giving out passwords. It's no problem. But our password for everything was Bando 10,000 because it's not anymore. So don't even try and hack into our system. It's very complex and layered now. I can't even get in there. But it was because I was like, imagine if we made $10,000 in one month. We obviously make a lot more than that now. 
what I thought was going to happen was limited what actually could have happened. And thankfully, I met other people that had bigger hopes and dreams for us. So just, you know, entertain the idea that the outcome that you're hoping for might be might be limiting and at least embrace that outcome, but leave yourself open to even greater things and different things. The other thing that I think is really important, especially like this was hard for me because the whole fake it till you make it. And like, I am so bad at like misrepresenting anything. Like I don't like to pretend things are okay when they're not. I want to talk about my problems publicly. It feels very false to be like, we're awesome. And you're looking at the numbers and you're like, fuck. But there is something to the idea of smoke and mirrors with a small business. And we definitely portrayed a company that was much larger than what we were just due to the fact that we had we had the advantage of like understanding photography and great visuals and great design. And so on an e-commerce site, you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. You're just like, this must be great. Look at the great styling and the photography and, you know. And a lot of people would come to our office and be like, this is Bandeau. And it was like a 500 square foot office with a bunch of us crammed at desks and like, you know, laughing and shooting each other with like pellet guns or something. I don't know what we were doing in there, drinking Tecates. That's okay. Don't lie. Well, some people lie. I don't think that's right. But I think you can... You can say yes to things that you don't understand. I mean, I was definitely on many phone calls and in many meetings and just said, "Mm -hmm, yeah, oh, we definitely have a factory that can do that. Or like, yeah, that'll be no problem and we can handle it. And we're, you know, and that's okay. Like you, you may have to represent something different. And then if you're really, if you're cut out for this, you will go back to your office and figure it out again and again and again. And I think the thing is, is like, put your best foot forward. And if that means doing something that you haven't quite figured out and you know, you can figure it out, then that's the best way to do it because that's how, that's how you succeed. You know, you, you have to, you have to do a little bit of that. That sort of leads me into, when do you say no? And when do you say yes to opportunities? You know, people are going to ask you to participate in an event, or can you give me some product? Or do you want to collaborate? Or, hey, you know, maybe you're doing, maybe you're doing customs, and somebody wants you to do something that you're not sure you can do, or somebody wants you to do something that you absolutely should do, but you know, you're not going to make that much money, but man, it might help your business. You know, I think, When you start, you say yes to a lot more than you say no to. You have to because you have to seize as many opportunities as possible. And that means you're going to be grinding day and night. That's what she said. But seriously, we did so much grinding. And then when we thought we were done grinding, we did even more grinding. And that's because we said yes to everything, everything. There was a slight disadvantage to that, but I feel like year one, year two, we just, we just went for it. I mean, the only things that I think we might've said no to were either like we physically, there was no way we could do it, or it just felt really off. Like we're about to take, be severely taken advantage of. But I mean, we definitely said 
yes to doing things for anthropology that we didn't know how to do. And we absolutely knew we wouldn't get, we weren't going to make any money, but our relationship with anthropology that lasted for a long time helped our business so, so, so much. So don't be afraid to say yes. And then check in on your yeses and see what is returning on your investment, whether it's a time investment or a financial investment or an emotional investment, like, and then learn from them and then decide what you can start saying no to. And I feel like it's as your business grows, you can say, you can be more discerning. And now, you know, 10 years in, we're a hundred times more discerning than we were. And we still say yes to a lot of things, but now we, we really look at every opportunity and every ask and vet them in a very systematic way, which is different than like, we just went with our gut. That feels good. Say yes. That doesn't feel good. Say no. And that's okay. Where you are now, that's all you need. You need a gut. Man, if you can write down three things that it's like, if if it checks two of the three boxes, it's a yes. Maybe write down five things. Things will suck a lot. Business is hard. Don't let anyone fool you. Don't let Instagram fool you. Don't let books fool you. Don't let looking at people's glamorous lives fool you. Business is hard. It is the worst. So is life. So don't even worry about it. But when you have a small business and you're trying to get it off the ground, you're probably making sacrifices. You're probably not treating yourself well, you may not be treating your loved ones well, and you don't mean to do that, but you're very focused on what you're doing. You're working hard. You're being challenged in ways you never imagined you would, and yet you can't stop. Then you have employees. Maybe there's three of them. Maybe they're part-time. You don't know, but they're feeling what you're feeling because the one thing I know about employees at that point, they're they're in their they're in there because they like that sort of environment. You know, it was, if people didn't like to work really hard and, and weren't super passionate about what they were doing because they weren't doing it for a lot of money, they usually left very quickly. Um, and not that many people left, but the people that many of the people that were there at the beginning are still here now. And that's because they, find it thrilling to work hard, see that work pay off, see something grow, build something. And the payment for them is uh, a payment for their soul. <laughs> so bad. But I think it's like, it's, it's not about the money. It doesn't mean they're working for free, but, but they're in there emotionally. And when you're dealing with that sort of, those sort of emotions, like you, you know, you have to take care of yourself and you have to take care of people. So listen, there's a few things here, but obviously I have a lot of podcast episodes about how to take care of yourself. And now with all the mental health stuff, you know, you, you have to treat your employees with respect. You have to treat yourself with respect and pay attention. And you can tell if someone's having a bad day. So a few things that you can do, Hey, you know what? We used to just drop it and leave some days. Like some days are just too hard. And when you're a small team, that's the beauty. I can't really shut down Bando now. I might be able to leave I might be able to give permission someone who's having a really bad day to leave, but 
Sometimes it'd be three o'clock and we'd be like, this day is just not going anywhere. Let's go to the movies. Let's go to fucking Disneyland. We would do shit like that. And we had to. And I could identify, you know, and I think this is just a good personal lesson. Sometimes you got to just not fight it, you know, and that's a hard distinction to make because a lot of times you got to fight through a lot of pain and discomfort in business. But I don't know, you should be able to identify a truly bad day. And there's lots of ways to reset that. And I think getting out, getting outside, doing something to take your mind off of it is super helpful. Goals are really helpful and important for a team, no matter what size and identifying when you hit marks and celebrating wins is so, so important. You know, working into the abyss without clarity on what you're working for eventually gets to be not that cool. So if you can set some goals and you can post them in your office and you can, you can tell the team, Hey, we're getting closer to this goal or look at all the things that have happened or, Hey, look at, you know, we used to have a list of like the celebrities that we wanted to see wearing band out and we would cross them off or put a gold star or something when it would happen. Same with like magazines, you know? So it, it's like, and, and I, by the end we got in all of them, like th- those are great, you know, and, and celebrating those wins are, are so important. And sometimes it just feels like you're too busy to stop, stop. You have to like, you have to please along the same vein, give compliments, you know, it, again, your team is there because they believe in what you're doing and they're tied to it emotionally. Feed them, not just with food, although that's cool too. A free lunch is not a bad thing. Um, tell them when they're doing a great job. You know, congratulate them. Think of the last time you were complimented and how good that felt. A, a true, true compliment. I mean, look, you can say, hey, I like that outfit. I think that's important too, especially when you can tell someone put thought into it. But I feel like just saying, hey, I saw that email you sent. Great job. That language was spot on. Or a design. Hey, I loved that design. And if you can, tell them why. You know, that's important too. Uh it, I cannot tell you how far that will go. I paid people in compliments for many years. I still try and do it. They're like, no, just give me a check. It's not my money anymore. So I'm able to do that. The other ones on here, I don't think are that good. One is drugs. (laughs) It should be drugs and alcohol. Just be careful with that stuff. And I'm not talking about things that are illegal, obviously. But hey, we still do wine spritzers on Fridays. And I, I think that makes people feel good. It's interesting because this was so long ago. I have spritz yourself with rose water, which fucking works. I mean, if you don't have some sort of refreshing spritz on your desk, you're not doing life right. Seriously. But I think that was a precursor to what is now like self-care and wellness. So take care of yourself. Take care of your employees. Encourage them to take care of yourself. That's something I'm obviously super passionate about. And now that the team is larger... Um, It's harder for me to affect everyone personally, but I really do try and encourage that whenever I can. Listen to a playlist. I don't know. Is that even a thing? I think what I meant by that is like have some songs that 
pump everybody up. You know, like that's important. And and again, that's just like a useful thing. We used to listen to this song called Ice Cream and Cake. It was so fun because it's just like a really like happy song. And and when we were celebrating or even if it was just like the mood got bad, I would just play that song and you just can't help but dance to it. And like having those things in your arsenal, especially – when you're a small business and you're probably all in a room, you might even be sharing a desk. Who the fuck knows? That stuff is really, really powerful. Anyways, okay, so a lot there. I feel like there's nuggets in there. If you have a small business and you're growing, I know how hard it is. It doesn't get easier. The pain points just change. Some of them stay the same, but there's lots of there are lots of things you can do to grow and get better and win. Go team. (laughs) I hope this helped. It's been so rewarding to not only be able to grow a business, but to share what I'm learning. And I wish that I had um, that kind of resource that, you know, now I have so many people that I can talk to. I just didn't really have that then. And I hope that one of the takeaways is it does it doesn't matter we're all struggling with the same stuff and there's so much that you can do without a ton of money and resources when you're at the beginning stages of your business to set it up for success and make your life a little bit easier. So hopefully I did that. I'm going to follow up with the what I learned in the next 5 years. I just got to figure out what that is. Okay, bye. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you feel like you gained insight and business knowledge. Oh, and that song I mentioned, Ice Cream and Cake, is by the Buckwheat Boys. And that's probably the most important takeaway from this episode, honestly. All right. See you back here next week for part two of Jen Gotcha's all-inclusive guide of everything you need to know about business. Just kidding. There's no such thing as an all-inclusive guide to business. It's ever-changing, and I learn something new almost every day. Either way, come back and hear about the last five years. Keep on trucking. Bye. What do you know about the after show? It's the JGOK after show. You don't know about the after show, but it's the show where I'm going to flush a toilet in my hotel room in Nashville because this toilet is a very special toilet. And I'll tell you why. When you flush it, it sounds like a bunch of farts. I've never heard a toilet like that. Have you? I'm really hoping that you'll be able to hear this. Here we go. Thank you and good night.